Well, what's up, church? We're glad that, uh, that we're all here today. How many of you guys are um, pumped for the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like all the rest of you. I'm like, eh, I don't care. I don't care who wins. I don't care what happens. I'll probably watch it. Maybe not. I don't even know. Okay, so, uh, but just to know, do we have any Chiefs fans in here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm sure there's no, we don't have any Tampa Bay people, right? Yeah? 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 Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, that's kind of, we're all the same here. We're all on the same page. Good to know um, with the Super Bowl today. Uh, last week, I gave AJ complete freedom to pick whatever series that, you know, would, would stir his heart and, you know, just uh, that he, would, he could kind of emotionally attach to. And he picked the love story of the Bible. Okay? So I don't know necessarily what that means. And deep down inside, you know, he's got this gruff exterior, but deep down inside, you know, he's longing for a good, good love story. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're going to continue on in the story of Ruth. In all, seriousness, in all seriousness, the story of Ruth is such a great short story that we see in the Old Testament. And really what we see is we get to see how God brings together a man and a woman to accomplish his specific plan. All right, so make sure you're back here next week because you are not going to want to miss kind of as next week we're going to wrap the series up, wrap the story up. You're not going to want to miss the reason for why God is doing all that he's doing. Uh, but today what I want to do is I just want to tell you straight up kind of what we're looking at for and what we're, what we're going to be looking at. I want to specifically point out how God uses both this man and this woman, how God uses their humility to accomplish his plan. Okay, that's what he uses. All right, let me give you some background on the nation of Israel in case you weren't here uh, last week. But uh, the nation of Israel, we'll start all the way back from their slaves in Egypt for 400 years, all right, and they start crying out to God, and uh, God raises up this leader. Do you remember what his name is? His name is? Well, <laughs> we're starting a little, little farther back. Moses, okay? All right, that was a Bible question right there. His name was Moses, Moses and, uh, and Moses leads the people. Through, with God's help, he leads the people out of Egypt, and God has this specific land that he's taking them to called the Promised Land, All right? Now, it takes them a little while to get there. They get there, and, uh, and remember what happens? They go into the, in the past 400 years, other people groups have moved into the land. They've built cities. They've done this. They've done that. And uh, the people of Israel are like, well, we can't go into this land. We can't push them out, drive them out, which is what God had told them to do. They get cold feet, and so they say, no, we're not going to do it. We're too scared. And remember what happens? They have to wait there for 40 years. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years as that generation dies off, and the new generation, their kids, become adults, All right? Well, when that happens, Moses, and Moses doesn't even get to go in the promised land. When that happens, this guy named Joshua, he leads the people the leads the people of Israel into the land, and this is, by the way, kind of interesting. This is the same land that Israel has today, right? Isn't that kind of weird? We're talking 4,000 years in the past. Same land, this land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And, um, and so he leads the people, and they, they conquest the land, they take the land, they drive the people out, and they do about 90% of what God has told them to do, right? They don't finish the job, but they almost get to the job, get the job done, and Joshua ends up dying. Well, when Joshua dies, there's no leader to kind of take over and help lead Israel and help push Israel towards, towards God. And uh, it's one of the saddest parts of the entire Bible, really, in the Old Testament. And, the, and we see this phrase over and over and over again, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sound familiar, right? Doesn't that sound like how 
people all live their lives uh, today. This period where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, after they take the land in Joshua, this period lasts for about 300 years. We call it the Judges period. We see it in the book of Judges. And this terrible cycle kept happening over and over and over and over again, where the Israelite people, the Jews, they would reject God, and so God would remove his protection from them, and eventually some neighboring nation would come in and defeat them. And when it got so bad, they would finally cry out to God. By the way, let me just point this out. Isn't that the same thing that happens in our lives? Don't we do that? I mean, have you noticed Like what we tend to do is exactly what the people of Israel did, which is so crazy to me that 4,000 years difference, we haven't changed as people very much, okay? Where we take God, we're like, hey, God, I just want you to just stay right here, all right? I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go do my thing. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it my way. And then when something happens in our life, like we got some bad stuff that happens, we suffer a little bit, what do we do? We go back to God, and it's like, hey, God, you need to come fix my mess. It's almost like we get mad at him when he doesn't, or when he doesn't do it soon enough. That's kind of what the Israelites are doing at this point. All right, so they would, they're in the cycle where they would reject God. All right, God would remove their protection from them. They would get defeated by some neighboring nation. And when it got so bad, they would finally cry out to God. And then God would raise up a judge who would rescue Israel. Basically, this judge was a leader. It usually was like a military leader that would raise, uh, rescue Israel from these people. And then Israel would go back to worshiping God at least for a while. But then sooner or later, they would reject God again. Then God would remove his protection. They would get defeated. It would get so bad. And enough people had died. They would finally cry out to God. God would raise up a judge. And they would rescue Israel. And then Israel would worship God for a while. And then, God would, then they would reject God again. It's just a cycle over and over and over again. It's very, very dark days in the nation of Israel. Now, it was during this time that we see the book of Ruth or the story of Ruth. It was during this time that a Jewish man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi And two sons, they actually leave Israel, the nation of Israel, the country of Israel, and they move to this neighboring nation called Moab, okay? Now, this was a really bad decision. These people, the Moabites, those are the people who lived in Moab, the Moabites, they were historically historically so bad, they were so evil that God had told the Israelites to not associate with them. Right? They weren't supposed to have anything to do with them. They weren't supposed to marry, um, marry them. They, were, they weren't supposed to be with them. They were not to associate with these people. And so if you get the context here, Elimelech, he makes this such bad decision. He goes completely against what God has told him to do. He moves his whole family to Moab. And a few, go, few years go by, and Elimelech ends up dying, which is kind of ironic because he moved there to survive or he moved there to live. And so Naomi Naomi, she's left raising these two sons, and and they end up marrying two Moabite women, which, again, another bad decision. It's completely against what God had told them to do. It's in direct violation of what God says. And then 10 years go by, and within those 10 years, both sons also died. And really what the author is doing, he's he's implying that this was a, that almost like these were consequences from their bad decisions. I mean, how many of you have ever made a bad decision? Anybody? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like once, maybe once, twice. All right, this week I made a bad decision. I feel like I'm finally now a, I should have got this last service, but I don't know what they said. Tiffinite, is that a thing? Is that what we call ourselves? Okay, all right, Tiffinite, Tiffin, Tiffiners, whatever it is. Um, so I, I feel like I became a Tiffinite this week uh, because as I was driving downtown, I chose to turn the wrong way 
on a one-way street. I don't get why Tiffin has so many one-way streets, first of all. Uh, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. There's some streets you're just, you know, you miss a turn, it's like you got to go all the way around the whole town. You know, it's crazy to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. kind of annoys me. But, uh, but I did that. And I, I, and I, you know, as soon as I turned on the one-way street, I'm like, oh, it got me. You know, I made it this long. We've, you guys have done that before, right? Okay, here. No? Well, I don't like you guys, okay? So, you're so good. Okay. So I do it. I've waited, you know, I, I put it off, but I finally did it. So I had to speed up. I knew I was going the wrong way because there was a bus barreling right down towards me. And I had to actually speed up to get into a parking spot before the bus passed. And so I'm sitting there in my car, and I, I'm pointed the wrong way. All these cars are coming. It's just traffic, traffic, traffic. And all these people are going by really slow and, like, looking at me, you know, because it's like I'm on display for the, like, who's the idiot, right? I feel like a tourist, you know what I mean? I'm doing the, the local thing the wrong way. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and they're going by real slow, and some of them are, like, signaling, like, you're going the wrong way. And I'm like, I know. I need you to keep going so I can get out and turn around. You know, I'm like, go. Stop looking at me. It's embarrassing. All right? It's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing straight from my one dumb, stupid decision. All right? That's kind of, I feel like, probably how Naomi felt. All right? Naomi, she, you know, here she is. She she has made, you know, she's been a part, we don't know necessarily how much she was a part of the first decision to go to Moab, but her husband's been dead for a long time, and she stayed. She stayed for over a decade in, in Moab, okay? Like, this, this is good. She has made the decision to be in Moab, and, uh, and, and it's like bad thing after bad thing after bad thing keeps happening in her life until she is, like, stripped of everything, Right? She has nothing. All these things keep coming down the road in her life. And, and it's like she finally decides one day she needs to turn around. Right? She needs to go the right way. She needs to go back home. At this point, she's got nothing. Right? She's in a foreign land. She's with two foreign daughter-in-laws. She's got nothing in common with them. And Naomi, she hears that God has come to rescue the people of Israel because they're in that cycle, remember? And uh, just like God had promised. And so she chooses to move back, back home. She chooses to move back to Israel. And she tells her daughter-in-law, she says, hey, I want you, guys, want you guys to go back home to your family. One daughter-in-law goes. The other one clings to her. Remember what AJ was talking about last week? She clings to her, and uh, she refuses to leave Naomi's side. Remember what she says. She says, hey, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And her name was Ruth. So Naomi and Ruth, they go back uh, to Israel, specifically to this little town called Bethlehem. And when they arrive, everyone's like, hey, is this Naomi? You know, all the women of the town, they're all like, they're all, you know, the town's kind of a buzz because Naomi is finally back. And, and Naomi, remember what she does? AJ talked about this last week. She's like, no, 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 don't call me by my name. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She's like, I changed my name to bitter. So when you address me, like, Naomi, come over here. Don't, don't say that. I want you to say, hey, bitter, come over here. Hey, bitter, can you do this? Hey, bitter, are you going to here today? She changes her name to bitter, and that's where we're at in this story. Now we're caught up all the way to Ruth chapter 2. Okay, we got it? We're all on the same page? Okay, all right. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. It starts off this way. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. Remember, her husband's name is Elimelech. He says, he was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. It's almost here. Like, the author's just like, hey, before we get back into the story, let me just tell you one thing 
this piece of information. There's this dude, his name's Elimelech, there's, there's this dude named Boaz. He happens to be a family member of Elimelech. He's a really good guy. He's, got, he's a prominent man. He's a man of noble character, and, uh, and, and he exists, okay? So we as the reader were like, okay, that will probably come in handy to know that at some point. Now, next verse. It says, Ruth, the Moabitess, she asks Naomi, she says, hey, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Now, let me explain exactly what she's asking here. Um, back in the day, back in th- this time period, the Jewish farmers, when they would go and harvest a field, like when the, you know, time to, time to harvest, they would go harvest it, but they wouldn't pick the field clean, okay? They would actually leave a bunch of their food out there, a bunch of the, you know, in this case, wheat. They would leave a bunch of the, f- the food out there for the poor to come and pick, and uh, this is something that wasn't necessarily a man's idea. This actually was God's idea. We see this in the Jewish law in Deuteronomy and a couple times even in Leviticus where, um, where God tells the Jewish people, he's like, this is what I want you to do. You know, pick, don't pick from the edges and, and don't pick it fully clean so that the poor can come and, uh, and gather food as well. And so Ruth, being a widow, right, she qualified uh, to pick up some of these leftovers. And so here she goes to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she says, hey, Basically, can I take care of you? She's like, hey, can I serve you? Just think about that for a second. Ruth doesn't owe Naomi anything, right? She doesn't owe her anything. But Ruth has left her family. She's left her country. She's left her home to take care of her mother-in-law. And Naomi, let's be honest with ourselves, probably isn't super fun to live with. Like, she changed her name to Bitter. Like, I've met some better people, but they didn't change their name to Bitter, you know? Um, she blames God for all the bad stuff that happened in her life. She, she blames God. And it doesn't sound like she has taken any responsibility for the bad decisions that she has made in her life. She just places all the blame on God, which, by the way, is probably a handful of us in this room. You know, we've probably been here before. Right? There's probably people in this room where you could totally relate to how Naomi feels right here because you're like, yeah, some bad stuff has happened in my life, and yeah, I definitely blame God for that. That's where Naomi is. Probably not fun to be around. Bitter. And here Ruth takes initiative. All right, this isn't Naomi going to Ruth saying, hey, Ruth, um, by the way, you know, could you go out to the fields and get us some food? She doesn't say that. This is Ruth going to Naomi saying, hey, you know, can I serve you this way? Basically, you know, the whole question would be, hey, uh, Naomi, do you mind if I go all day out in the sun and sweating and being miserable, picking up grain so that you can have food and survive? Are you okay with, that? Are you okay with me doing that? You know, that's the question. And so Naomi, she answered her and she says, yeah. Good idea. Go for it. Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left, and she entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be, this is so key, this phrase is so key. We'll get to there in a second. But she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, we as the reader, we already know who Boaz is, right? We're familiar with Boaz because the author has let us know. He says, who was from Elimelech's family? So Ruth goes... And she happens to choose Boaz's field, right? This guy that we already know about. Now, to the Jewish audience, like focus in here, this gets a little complicated. But for the Jewish audience, Boaz being a relative, okay, signals, and, and 
and Ruth choosing his field, it really signals a romance being set up. Okay, this is stuff that we don't necessarily see in the English, but was totally there in the Hebrew. All right, now today in our culture, at least, uh, let me speak for myself. I'm not speaking for you, but for me, when someone says, hey, here's your cousin, I'm not thinking romance. Okay, it's like the opposite of what I'm thinking. All right, but back then it was different. Um, the Jewish people, uh, they would marry distant relatives. Okay, that's, that's what they wanted to. I'm not talking brother and sister. Okay, that's not what they did. But distant relatives, yeah, they'd try to marry people from the same clan. Okay, and so, so the Jewish audience, they're looking at this like, oh, okay, so there's something that's going to happen here, okay? There's a, there's a romance being set up here, and we see the phrase, just so happened, or she happened to be, and when we look at this, and this language in the original language, in the, the Hebrew, it's so dramatic, right? Again, we just, we just read over it. But in the original language, what the, what the author is trying to get us to understand or, or trying to say is basically it's like the author saying, and it just so happened that Ruth stumbled into Boaz's field. All right? That's literally what the author is trying to say. It right? just so happened. Like, what are the odds? Like, the reader would automatically think, whoa, whoa, whoa. That would never, like, really happen in real life. And so as the reader... We're supposed to be able to recognize, like, this is so, so odd. And, what, you know, we're supposed to be thinking, you know, this cannot be by chance. The chances would be so great that God has to have a hand in this. All right? Like, like God is controlling this. Like, this would never happen all on its own. And really what God is doing is God is weaving the story together for some particular special reason. And that, again, is what we're going to be looking at next week. And so Ruth just so happens to stumble into Boaz's field, and she starts filling her basket. Now, later on in the afternoon, we see in verse 4 that uh, Boaz, he comes from Bethlehem. Right? He comes to check, on his, to check on his workers. And here again, same, same kind of language in the Hebrew. It's like, surprise, Boaz is here. Right? It's like coincidence that Boaz comes at the same time, at the same place that Ruth happens to be working. Right? It's supposed to draw the reader in. And, and, and in the original language, the Boaz, the way it's written here, it's almost like, it's almost like Boaz is like the, he's like the knight in shining armor. Okay? Like there's something special about him. He's, he's, he steps out of his, off his donkey or, you know, I don't know what they did back then. But he steps off or, and, uh, and he's got like the Rocky music playing in the background. You know, that's like Boaz, right? His name means strength, right? That's, that's who he is. That's what he's known for. I mean, he's a man's man, right? He's a, he's a dude's dude. He's not the guy getting a, a frappe, you know, or driving a Prius and watching The Bachelor. Okay, that's not him. He's not there. Sorry if I offended any of you guys, but uh, I'm actually okay with that one. Um, but, uh, but, but he, you know, this is a guy that, that worked with his hands. Right? He's a manly guy. He's a good guy. He's a successful businessman. Employees like him. Right? He's respected, not just by the people in the town, which we see. He's a man of noble character, remember? But he's also respected by the guys who work for him. He's a God follower. And so he goes to check out the work in his fields. And, and the woman, and, and he's looking out there, and, he, you know, there's, there's women out there, and there's guys out there. They're harvesting. They're doing their thing. And he kind of, you know, scans. He's like, whoa. You know, he, he, something catches his eye. Someone catches his eye. And he's looking at her, and he actually, you know, nudges his, his foreman. He's the head, the head worker. And he's like, hey, 
Who is that? He's like, I've never seen her before. Who is she? I don't know anything about her. And the foreman's like, oh, oh, funny you mention her. That is Ruth. She's that Moabite woman who happened to come back from Moab with Naomi. You remember her? You know, and the worker says this in verse 7. He says, she, be, she came here and she's been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. He's like, she's been working all day. She's only had one break. He's like, she is working, working hard. All right, so Ruth, like not only is Ruth serving Naomi by picking grain, but she's working hard doing it. See, I feel like in our culture, um, we've lost the idea of what working hard looks like, okay? Because we don't have to work for our own food. We don't have to, you know, we got such a comfortable lives, every single one of us, we got such comfortable lives that, that we have forgotten how it is to work, all right? Because a lot of us, we haven't had to do, like, real work over and over and over again, or day in after, you know, and, and day out. And actually, we're going to do a series on work after Easter, which I'm so pumped for. I think it's so needed for us. Um, but, uh, but here, like, not only do we have an issue with not knowing how to work, like, we go to the office all day, sit behind the computer, type and stuff, and then we go back home, and we sit on the couch, and we're just like, man, that was a hard day's work. Whew, I'm pooped, right? It's like, your fingers did most of the work. Like, you know, you just... Eh, whatever. No, never mind. Moving on. But not only do we have issues with not knowing how to work, but we also have issues with, with serving, not knowing how to serve. Like, like, a lot of us, I don't know anybody in here that's like, you know what, I don't agree with serving. You know, I've never met anybody like that. Maybe there is. I doubt it. But, uh, you know, we all like the idea of serving. Like, yeah, yeah, we should serve each other. We like that idea. And, and we serve, but usually we only serve other people when it's convenient for us. You notice that? Like, it's easy to serve the people that we love when it's convenient. See, just this past week, I, um, I uh, on, actually, this was Friday, two days ago, I was working in Fremont at our Fremont campus, and uh, Alyssa, our secretary, uh, who she was here last service, but uh, she, she was in Fremont, too, on, on Fridays. And so she happened to find me. She came up and, uh, and gave me two keys, and she said, hey, um, could you move the buses for the plow truck drivers? They had piled all the snow around the buses and, uh, in the parking lot, and she, they wanted to push the snow off, which makes sense. And so we have two buses, and so she's like, hey, can you move these for the plow truck drivers? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I grab those keys. I'm like, I will totally serve you. What, is this all you need? You need anything else? Like, like yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll do, whatever, do whatever you ask, Alyssa. It didn't actually go like that, right? I'm like, actually, why don't you ask somebody else? You know, because I'm like pushing this, you know, I, I have an opportunity to serve. And I'm like, nah, you know, I got too much to do. My sermon wasn't going that good at that time. You know, I'm just like, I'm like, you know, ask somebody else. And so she's like, okay. So she goes and asks somebody, and she can't find anybody that knows how to drive the bus, you know, which is very convenient, right? It's like, does anybody drive a car? We all drive a car, but we can't drive. Okay. It's like the same thing. And you're only moving it in the parking lot. But whatever. Backing up four spots. But, uh, but so she comes back up to me. And she, she brings me the keys. And she's like, hey, nobody else knows how to drive it. So can you just do it? And I'm like, okay. So I grab the keys. And I go to my office. I'm not very happy. I got kind of a bad attitude. I'll totally admit that to you. I'm not even close to perfect. And, uh, and I go and I put on my coat. And on Friday, it was like 40-mile-an-hour winds for no reason. You know, you're just like, why is it so cold? And I walk out, and I'm, I'm 
walking over like, you know, piles of snow because the plow trucks have been there and all the piles are over the sidewalks. And I get out to the bus and the the door is like frozen shut. So I have to like, and there's a big pile of snow in front of the door. And so I'm like, you know, trying to pry this dumb door open and I'm cold and I'm freezing. And I finally get that open. I go in the bus. I sit down. I put the key in the ignition. It won't turn over. All right. Battery's dead. And I'm like, sweet. All right, I'll take that any day. So I take the key, I go down, I go to the next bus, and I finally, I got that one rolling, and uh, go park the bus, go inside, and I hand the keys back to Alyssa, and I'm like, hey, you owe me, all right, for this. And I'm like, and when they need, the buses moved again, ask, ask Mike to do it next time. <laughs> and uh, he's in his office, it just looks like he's not there. Smart move. Um, but uh, but as, and then I go sit down, I start working on this, and like two hours later, it like kind of hit me, you know, where you're like, I'm a terrible person. Like, I'm talking about this, and I'm learning about this, and I'm like, and I just did this, like, you know, that's just not good. Like, not an attitude of service, that's, that's for sure. So what I should have done, technically, and it probably would have taken me, like, 30 minutes or so, but what I should have done is, once the bus ends, you know, start, I should have went out and grabbed an extension cord, plugged it in, grabbed the battery charger, taken it to the bus, pull out the battery tray, you know, plug everything in, put the, put the charger on the batteries, probably should have waited 20 minutes, and I bet if I would have waited 20 minutes, the bus would have started right up, and then I could have taken the, the extension cord and the battery charger and taken those back to where they go, push the battery tray back in, go up in the bus and with the running bus, and then move it to another spot, then walk, in, you know, then walk inside, and the job would have been done. I didn't do that, Right? Like, I, I did what she asked or what they needed halfway. And I felt pretty good about myself until I started looking at this, the book of Ruth and looking at how Ruth was living her life. You know, we, uh, that's what serving is, right? Like, like if I would have done all that, yeah, that would have been uncomfortable and it would have been a pain for half an hour, okay? I would have been freezing, right? But that's what serving is. Like, you have to sacrifice something. If you're truly serving, that means you are sacrificing something, whether that's time, effort, energy, comfort, you know, whatever, whatever it is. See, it costs you to serve. Otherwise, it's not serving. See, serving, more is, serving is more than just doing work, too. Right? Like, true service is coupled with humility. It's the heart issue. Right? Humility is putting others before yourself. Right? Putting others' needs and others' wants before your needs and, and your wants. Ruth, right here in this story, I mean, what, she's such a great example of that. Like, it wasn't that she just worked. Right? It wasn't that she just served. It was her heart. She's super humble about it. See, humility is the heart issue. Serving is the action. Humility is what's going on the inside. Serving is what should happen on the outside. They go hand in hand. They go together. See, most of us, like me, for example, on Friday, I, don't, I didn't even fully serve, but, you know, we serve, but we don't do it with the right attitude. Or we put on this, this front of, wow, look at me and look how humble I am. But we don't serve. Let me just say, you're not a humble person if you don't serve others. You're not. Right? I feel like I could judge your humility based on how much you serve others. Okay? I think that's a good judge. It's a good basis. Right? And let me throw this out there. Uh, just to throw out there, you can think about this later. But entitlement, 
Right? This word that we hear all the time, you're entitled to this, you're entitled to that, you're entitled. This, is, this thing that we hear all the time in culture, that is the opposite of humility. This feeling of you owe me or somebody owes me, that's not being humble. And so Boaz, in this story, is so impressed with Ruth that she is, has served so much, that she's been working all day, that she walks up to Ruth in verse 8, and, and he says, then Boaz said to Ruth, he says, listen, my daughter. He says, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my uh, female servants or female workers. He says, see which field they are harvesting, and just, just follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars that the young men have filled. Basically what Boaz is saying, he tells Ruth, he says, hey, right, you could go anywhere and you could pick grain. Like, that's, that's totally cool, but don't go anywhere else. Right, like, come to my field. I'll, I'll take care of you. He says, I'll protect you. No one's going to bother you here. No one's going to touch you. See, back then, especially a, um, a, a foreigner, like a young foreign widow, all right, I mean, she is dangerous. I mean, guy... It's not like there's police everywhere. Guys could do whatever they want. So he's like, he's like, no one's going to touch you. No one's going to bother you. All right, you will be safe here. And by the way, feel free to have some water, okay, because I know you're thirsty. Is Boaz saying, hey, I'll, I'll take care of you. Now check out Ruth's response. It's so humble. She says she fell face down in front of Boaz. And she bowed to the ground and she said to him, why? She's like, Why? Like, why are you being so kind to me? Why are you serving me? Why are you doing this for me? Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? She's saying, I'm a nobody. All right, I'm nothing. All right, I'm a, I'm a foreign widow here just, just you know, in, in your land. She's like, I got nothing. And then he says this. Boaz answers her. He says, everything that you have done for your mother-in-law he says, since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. He's like, I've heard it all. He says, how you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people that you didn't previously know for your mother-in-law? I mean, he's just like, basically he says, Ruth, you ask me why I'm doing this? I'm doing this because of your reputation. See, Ruth was so humble on the inside and she backed it up with service on the outside that people noticed. Like people recognized it. Like she was known for it. She had a reputation of humility and service. Now, here at Grace, okay, we've talked about reputation. I feel like a decent, you know, amount. We've talked about it a lot. And you know, we all understand. We're like, yeah, 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 I know. You know, we need to have a good reputation. That needs to be a part of our life. But let, let's think about this. Let, let's just get specific for a second, right? Like, how's your reputation in regards to humility and service looking like these days? I mean, are you known for that? Like, are you known for sacrificing your time, energy, effort, comfort for others? Do people around you know you that way? I'm not talking about your best friends. I'm not talking about your family members, the people who would naturally say nice things about you. I'm talking about people around you. Maybe you don't talk to every day. Maybe, I mean, look at this. This is Boaz talking about Ruth. He's never even seen Ruth in his life. Right? This is the first time they're meeting, and he's heard all this stuff about her. Like, like think about this. If someone at work has a problem, you know, if someone has a problem at work, like, are you the person that people go to for help? Are you the person that people are trying to avoid? 
Now that's professionally. Maybe let's talk about something personally, like someone at work. Are you, someone's got a problem personally, like maybe something's going on at home, they're going through divorce, maybe, you know, whatever it might be. Are you the person that people go to at work for help on that? Do people come to you? Are you known for helping people? Let's take it one step further. Notice Naomi didn't go to Ruth, right? She didn't go to Ruth and say, hey, can you do this for me? No, it was Ruth who goes to Naomi and says, hey, could you, you know, could I, could I go, you know, and, and pick grain? I mean, it was Ruth who took initiative. Like, are you known for helping people who don't ask for help? I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, yeah, if someone asked me for help, I'll help them. But are you known, like, is your reputation, are you known as being a person who's helping people who don't even ask for help? See, Boaz is so impressed with Ruth and so impressed with her humility and her service that he serves her. Like here the servant gets served. He shows humility to the humble. See, it's like a chain reaction. Like when she serves, it makes people around her want to serve. That's how it works. And Boaz, he, he doesn't stop with, with just this. We know that, you know, at, the, at dinner time, Boaz, he actually invites Ruth to grab some food. It's like their first date, you know. He, he invites Ruth to grab, to grab some food, and, and he gave her such a big meal that she had leftovers to take home, all right. We're all in the same boat here. We go to a restaurant. We, we love to leave the restaurant full with leftovers, right, both things. We into that? Okay. All right. What took so long? Come on, people. It's almost lunchtime. Like, we should be kind of thinking about that. I'm already thinking about it. Anyway, moving on. But, uh, but that's kind of what happens. He gives her such a big meal for supper that, he's, that she's like, oh, I'm going to need a you know, to-go box. And he's like, oh, I got one of those right here. So, so he has, she has all this left, she has all these leftovers from the meal. Verse 15, when she got up to gather, okay, so she gets up from the meal and she starts gathering uh, grain again. It says, Boaz ordered his young men. And my guess is that he didn't necessarily want her to know this. So maybe he's even whispering this, where it's like, hey, let her even gather grain among the bundles. And don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. And don't rebuke her. Like, don't tell her that she can't do it. All right, basically, he's telling his, his workers, he's like, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go pick the grain and then after you pick it, I want you to just uh, drop it on the ground for her. She'll come pick it up. All right, literally, he's, Boaz is paying his workers to harvest his wheat and then just throw it on the ground. Okay, that's what he, that's what's going on here. All right, verse 17. It says, so Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered. Basically, she separated the husks um, from the, or the husk from, from the grain. Okay, so she's only got grain at this point, the stock from the grain. And, um, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. Now, again, here we go again. He is an English reader. Four thousand, you know, many thousands of years later, we look at this and we just kind of read over. Oh, 26 quarts of grain, that's probably, or barley, that's, that's probably pretty good. Good, cool, you know, you know, good for her. But the ancient reader is reading this story and they're like, whoa, back that up real quick. You said how much? 26 quarts of barley, that's like 30 to 50 pounds of grain she picked in one day. See, back then, sometimes even workers, and maybe Boaz is doing this with his workers, a lot of times they would pay their workers in food. And what a worker would get for a whole, day's, day, a, you know, whole day of work would be like a pound of grain. So here, if you look at this, you know, Ruth, she doesn't get a pound of grain. She gets uh, 
30 to 50 pounds of grain. So it's almost like she may have picked like a, a month and a half worth of wage, you know, wage worth of food in one day. Really, it shows us, number one, how hard Ruth worked, and number two, how much Boaz served Ruth over and above what anybody expected. So Ruth, she's got this, you know, she starts lugging her grain home. I don't, she probably didn't carry it. Maybe she drug it or whatever. She starts dragging this bag of grain home, and it says, she picked up the grain, and she went into town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. This is what she has picked Right? She brought out what she had left over from her meal. So basically, she goes to her mother-in-law, and she's Naomi, and she's like, oh, here, you know, giant bag of grain, 50 pounds. And she's like, oh, wait, that's not all. I actually got this to-go box, too. This is my leftover from the meal. And so she's like, she brought out what she had left over from her meal, and she gave it to her. She used to give both things to her. And Naomi, bright-eyed, her mother-in-law said to her, she's like, where did you gather barley today? She's like, what the heck? I've never seen anything like this. I've never heard anything like this. She's like, where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Like, like who was this kind to us? This is what Ruth says. It says, Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, eh, the, ma- the name of the man I worked with was, I don't know, was this dude named Boaz. He fed me too. It was awesome. It says, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, she says, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. She's referring to her husband and her sons, which was also, one of them was also Ruth's husband, and saying, hey, you know, this guy, he's not only showing kindness to us, but he's also showing kindness to our dead husbands by taking care of us. He says, Naomi continues, she says, the man is a close relative. Here we go. We got this thing again where the people reading this are like, ah, this is a setup. It says, he is one of our family redeemers. Now, that's a weird, weird word. We're going to actually look at all that, what that means next week. So again, make sure you're here. And, um, and then Ruth the Moabitess, she said, he also told me to stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she says, hey, my daughter, like, this is good, right? It is good for you to work with his female servants or workers so that nothing will happen to you in another field, so that you will be safe, right? So Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. See, we got this, this kind of time frame that the author gives us. says, hey, Ruth gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvest had finished. I had to actually look that up this week. I'm like, what's the difference between barley and wheat? It's like the same thing, right? I didn't know what barley was at all, actually. But, uh, but I looked it up. It's like it is kind of pretty much the same thing. They look the same, at least on the Internet, on Google. But, uh, but one's like a little bigger than the other. I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. But... Um, Anyway, I don't know why I'm even talking about that. Oh, this is why. So both these plants, all right, both these, these crops, they would, they would get done at like a different time, okay? Harvest time would be slightly different. So basically what the author's telling us, so barley and wheat harvest is saying, hey, Ruth is out there, and she's been working for like six to seven weeks. She's there the whole time, all right? She's working, She's grinding. Like Ruth is, she's choosing to serve her mother-in-law. It's not like a one-day thing here. She spends two months working and working and working. And the same thing with Boaz. Boaz, he's serving Ruth by helping her and, and, and letting her take from his harvest. And it's not like a one-day thing. It's not just, hey, yeah, you can do this one day and he feels good about himself. No, this is like two months of sacrifice here. See, service with the attitude of humility, true service, Here's the issue. 
It's a lifestyle. It's not something we just do one day and we feel good about ourselves. It's like, hey, yeah, you know, this past week I shoveled this, you know, shoveled this person's sidewalk just a little bit. So they should, you know, they should owe me. And, and I, you know, I'm a pretty good person because of that. But now I'm done for a while. You know, it's not how we're supposed to think, especially as Christians. See, it's a lifestyle. Service, it's just, as a Christian, it's just what we do. At least it's how it's supposed to be. And next week, what we're going to do is we're going to see how God uses these two unbelievably humble people and uses their humility that they back up with action, right? Like they back up with serving and how God uses them 4,000 years ago, really, to, to affect our lives here today. It's going to kind of wrap up the story. Again, the main emphasis of the story will be next week. But I just want to point out today, I just want, to, I just want us to question ourselves, right? Me included. I questioned myself on Friday. I was like, yikes. All right? Not very, you know, I'm not as good as I think. But like, how often do you serve others? Well, I don't know how. Yeah, you got to go out of your way. Right? You got to sacrifice something. Like it costs you. Right? It's work unfortunately. Like, how's your reputation? Are you known for being a servant? Are you known for doing things for others, for helping others? Again, it's not just about helping others, right? Remember, it has to be done with the right attitude. It has to be done with humility. And it's a lifestyle. It's something that we should just do. So I really just want to challenge with us to that challenge us with that today. Just how, how are we doing on that front? Because if you're like me, you know, start really looking at yourself, and it's like I'm not nearly as good as I think. Well, let's pray. God, we um, we thank you for the story that you've given us, this true story about people who lived long ago, but aren't that much different from ourselves today. God, help us Jesus, use the story about Ruth and, and, and this Boaz to really challenge us to serve others in our life today. And, and I'm not talking just serving our, our family and our friends and the people that it's easy to. God, God, help us challenge us, like convict us in our hearts to, to serve those who we don't enjoy serving, that aren't super enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. God, as Christians, and that's what you've called us to do. God, we ask that you'd help us to do that. We can't really do it without your help. Help us to take initiative, to work hard, to sacrifice, and to serve people in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.